The circle is cast, the candles lit, the spell is spoken, and Mother Moon is watching all that we say and do. For the next short passage of time, you are in an enchanted place called the Witching Hour. Hi, my name is Elle, and welcome to the Witching Hour. This is our first podcast for 2017, so naturally the subject is politics, pagan religions, and the 2016 election. I am normally joined by my blissfully retired husband, William, but he's cleaning the yards with David Harden, the newly minted high priest for my covenstead. I have retired and have more time for this, and David is having the time of his life with the covenstead crew. He and William will also be joining me on other podcasts later. Tonight, I'll be bringing you some very thoughtfully written blogs and articles written by two highly respected Patheos contributors whose opinions about the subject this evening really impressed us. And if you have opinions on the same subject matter, please leave your comments on our podcast site. Just follow the prompts. We have a lot of material to cover, so let's get started. Politics, Pagan Religions, and the 2016 Elections. This was written by Gus DiZariga, uh, June 8, 2016. This is an editor's note. The excerpts are part of the patheos.com public square on faith and the election and can be read in their entirety there. Religion has become a major influence in our politics, and in terms of democratic values, not in a good way. Domestic terrorism is most often motivated by some kind of Christian belief. Abortion is made increasingly difficult for entirely religious reasons. Even violent rape does not justify it for many. Conservative Christians claim laws protecting LGBTQ Americans' legal equality impinge on their religious freedom and use their freedom to pass laws prohibiting this equality. These attacks on the rest of us in the name of religion force thoughtful people of all religious traditions to rethink how our beliefs relate to our politics. A good working definition of religion is the highest context of meaning in our lives, which we celebrate with others. Whatever your religion, there will be times when the modern world pursues politics and practices that violate our sense of what is right and proper. If we are religiously opposed to these practices and policies, what should we do? Those who say religion should stay out of politics are wrong. It shouldn't. More recently, many leaders of the civil rights movement were clergymen. They were often supported by white clergymen and seminarians, even at the cost of their lives. Examples such as these are justly honored by people who are also appalled at the role of conservative religion in America today. Is this a double standard? No. These men and women were religiously motivated, but made their political case in universal terms, Their faith gave them the courage to push against the beliefs of the times, but their arguments were mostly in a different language. They appealed to 
common sense of fairness, justice, and reason, qualities one did not need to be Christian or any religion to accept. Speaking to people in terms of our common humanity, they transformed their societies. Increasingly, their opponents also claimed religious justifications, but their arguments required accepting their theology at the cost of humanity and decency. In a free society, whatever the ultimate source of our beliefs, expecting others to accept them requires us to make our case in universal terms. This principle is rejected by the Christian right that threatens this country today. They share the mentality of Christians supporting slavery or segregation and using scripture to make their case. This approach to politics is destructive to a free society at two levels. First, it legitimates religious dogma as sufficient to rule people who disagree. Second, since these people never fully agree on their dogmas, it opens the door to religious wars such as those in Europe suffered for centuries and those in the Middle East today. The Roots of Reason and Democracy While most pagan societies have not been democratic, the most successful and memorable early democracies, Athens, was pagan. The most powerful return of democratic values to political prominence, the founding of our own country, was inspired by classical antiquity as well as enlightenment deist thought. The connection is real. Pagan religions honor a multitude of ways of thinking about and interacting with the sacred. None require faith as it is meant to the Christian context. We recognize mystery, which is a form of faith to many. Democracy provides a context where people with different views can discuss what to do as a community. Despite Socrates' faith, reason, as a way of understanding the world and dealing with others, has democratic and pagan roots. Simply put, reason is the best way people with divergent points of view can settle controversies peacefully. No one has special status simply because of who they are. They must give reasons for it, and reasons can be challenged. To argue otherwise is to argue for the superiority of force or dishonesty. To reject the centrality of reason as a means of settling issues is to endorse violence and domination. It is to reject respect among equals as a principle worth honoring. Today, the American right wing deeply embodies these attitudes. America pioneered religious freedom and diplomatic government in part because of organized religion's weakness during the country's founding. Today, deism has withered, and conservative Christianity has further degenerated toward embracing the irrational as a result of its many defeats when reason and scientists are respected. Knowing it will be defeated in honest debate, its inherents choose dishonest debate, 
and simple assertions of power. It is not alone. Today, 200 disdominant forces reject reason as a tool for attaining and keeping power. Corporate and oligarchic power are as dismissive of the requirements for political freedom as is conservative religion. Republicans have dispensed with reasoned argument. Their presidential candidate can be quoted on every side of many issues, and his only continuing theme is that we should all give him power to resolve our problems. Then trust him, promising to make America great again. This sounds all too familiar for comfort. Pagans should be deeply bothered by what is happening to our country. Our wisest approach is to support who we believe will do the least damage. Our choices can sometimes include someone to vote for who may support us at some level, but not nearly often enough. We need to reframe our thinking. How might pagan virtues regain some footing in modern America? The problem is deeper than simple apathy. Our problems are rooted in our corporate economy and the degeneration of American Christianity. We can hope that more democratic forces come to prevail in our two parties, but a change in rules that cement their power over us, regardless of how we think, are needed. Right now, popular choice voting is the best hope for revitalizing American democracy. The following was written by Jason Mankey. He's blogmaster for Raise the Horns at Patheos. It's an excerpt. Mr. Mankey writes, Dear friends, if like me you are a liberal, a leftist, or even just a compassionate person in America, or if you are sometimes somewhere else in the world looking in at this country, I am sure that you must find the non-stop barrage of insults, threats, aggression, and intolerance issuing forth from the White House mentally exhausting and spiritually depleting, as I do. But the White House has created a retrograde path back toward the worst moments in American history, the ones that cause intelligent Americans to hang their heads in shame, the times when blacks were enslaved, segregated, and lynched, when native peoples were exterminated and dispossessed, when Japanese Americans were interned in concentration camps, when artists and intellectuals were hounded for real or imagined communist sympathies, when the Vietnamese were demonized as gooks, when Iraqi prisoners of war were tormented and humiliated in violation of the Geneva Convention, when gays, lesbians, and other non-heterosexuals had to live in constant fear of harassment, humiliation, and beatings, ranging from the frightening to the fatal. I fear that we are living in a time not unlike 1930s Germany, where the storm clouds are gathering and the stormtroopers are massing. We need sources of solace and comfort, reassuring and inspiration. Different people will seek out different points of refuge and recharging. For me, this means turning toward paganism. And to sum up, we return to another article written by Gus de Zurega, 
It's on a, it's called a pagan blog, and it's on Pythias, and this is an excerpt. Persuasion is the lifeblood of democratic politics, but sometimes the issues we face are severe enough that we feel called upon to act as pagans and in pagan ways to try to make the difference. Either persuasion is not an option or the time constraints are too demanding. But we can learn from a ritual working against Hitler's planned invasion of Great Britain. And this is a true story, and it is also featured in a story that a friend of mine wrote. And this is the way it goes. Many English witches did rituals to prevent a Nazi invasion. Whether they worked or not will, of course, never be known. What we do know is that what was done was in harmony with a pagan view of the world and that it often works in a smaller scale and that the invasion never happened and that the change in Hitler's plans was unexpected by all involved on both sides. Whether it made a difference or not, this was religious involvement in politics on a grand scale indeed. Energy was raised, given additional strength by the voluntary sacrifice of some participants' lives and a powerful, no, you will not come, was sent to Hitler. Philip Heselton's book, Wiccan Roots, gives many of the details. Note that the working was very concrete and specific. It was a binding, a powerful one. Some gave their lives to add energy. Nothing was abstract about it. It was not a ritual for world peace, desirable as that goal is. Second, there was a universal agreement about the concrete specifics of what was desired by all involved. A powerful unity of will was achieved, and because of the very simplicity of the issue, stop an invasion. Third, if it could be done, it had to be done from within a ritually specific consciousness, far removed from normal awareness, and certainly removed from analytic or complex political thought. This seems to me is a good example of specifically pagan political involvement, and we can learn from it. It is done entirely outside the political arena. It does not deal with making laws, convincing political allies, or anything mundane. The moral issues are very clear and all involved. It is oriented toward defense, stopping others from doing harm. Successful or not, it had all the elements of a good magical working had the working's goal been abstract, such as Hitler will learn love, the unity of wills required would have been harder to achieve because love means different things to different people. Had it been for world peace, the problems would have been harder still. What does world peace really mean concretely? There would have been a number of interpretations. Further, the number of people required to be influenced would have been hopelessly disproportionate to the powers of those doing the working. Awesome stuff. Really awesome.
I'd also like to tell you that I thank the uh, authors of both pieces, and I thank Patheos for always providing the best material for me to use for our podcast when I do. And I'd also like to uh, plug a book written by Jack Reese. It's called The Watch. It is available on Amazon and the Hamburg Press, which is at www.thehamburgpress.com. And uh, also The Journey of the Sentinels, which is one of the most lovely books that you'll ever read in your life. And pagans in particular will enjoy it, not because it is a pagan book, but because of how it is done and how lovely it uses the elements of the things that pagans love. It is written by Jan Perry. It is available on Amazon and www.janperryalloneword.me. And now... It is time to blow out the candles, pack our herbs, close our book of shadows and spells, and fold our tents. But before I go, we'd really like to hear from you. We'd like to know what you'd like to hear from us on the show and how often. We'd also like to hear from you if you are involved in the pagan community and have something you'd like to share with the listening audience. It's even possible that you could come and do a guest spot on The Witching Hour. Contact us through the website, thewitchinghour.com. I'd also like to thank our team of magicians who put this show together every time we do it, which isn't too often, but we do do it. And that's Rob Steele, Lee Bell, and the Happy Hour Network for hosting this program. There are links to both their pages on our page, thewitchinghour.com. And until we meet again, stay magical.